0: Our reading this morning comes from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11 verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of, the, of God and who makes, who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. May the Lord add understanding to the reading of his word.
1: We're close to the end of Ecclesiastes. If my plans go the way that I think they will, or hope they will, it would be one more sermon next week. As you'll see, I have to couch that in, in careful language. I, my plans don't happen the way they, that I plan them very often. Ecclesiastes, as a whole takes a good, hard look at all the things for which men and women strive. And in the end, as with the outset, it declares them all to be hevel, mist, a fleeting vapor. the greatest attention and the most space is devoted to looking at wisdom, which was very highly praised and valued both in the Bible and in its surrounding ancient Near Eastern culture. And in the final assessment, Ecclesiastes declares wisdom to be a powerful good and yet severely limited in its ability to achieve lasting good and utterly incapable to produce that which we long for from it. You see, we each desire a comprehension which gives control. We want to know enough to navigate the future in order to achieve our personally desired outcomes. We seek a wisdom that would give us a foundation from which to securely provide for our needs and desires, a formula to give us safety, power, and control. But because of sin, folly, death, and even what seems like random chance, wisdom does not provide a sure formula for our success in our endeavors. Ecclesiastes 11.1-6 reminds us of our human inability to control the times. We don't know, Ecclesiastes 10.14, what will be or what comes after. The wisdom here, then, is for those who recognize that they don't have enough wisdom to navigate life on that basis. Here, we have a wisdom on how to navigate life's uncertainties. The greatest folly is to look upon the chaos of life and do nothing, to be frozen in the paralysis of analysis. While human wisdom offers no guarantees, Ecclesiastes endorses a way to live life prudently and joyfully despite its risks and uncertainties. And so these Proverbs that we're looking at this morning all fit together to instruct those wise enough to know that they lack wisdom. The first Proverb, verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. This is the easy one. Of course, we all understand what this means. (laughs) What does it mean to cast your bread upon the waters? Wouldn't you just, like, find moldy, soaked bread afterwards, if anything? The ducks will have something to eat. I will share some ideas, but despite its uncertain interpretation, we can get the general sense that it encourages some sort of risky investment. Cast your bread upon the waters, you will find it after many days. Some commentators submit that charitable giving is in view here, suggesting something akin to Proverbs twenty eight twenty seven a whoever gives to the poor will not want. The basic idea being that if you give to the poor, when hard times come for you, others will be quick to look out for your interests. This idea is also seen in the parable of the dishonest manager in Luke 16, who, knowing that he will soon lose access to the master's wealth, uh, starts giving it all away to make friends. But rather than to see charity as a method of investment here, most interpreters see this proverb as counsel to make long-term investments in general. You see, this reading understands bread to represent any commodity which is sent out by boat on the waters, like Solomon's fleet of merchant ships, which would return only once every three years, 1 Kings 10-22. And so maritime trade was considered a risky, long-term investment with great potential for, for massive profits, but also significant losses. And so in the immediate context of Ecclesiastes, regarding the limitations of wisdom, in which we don't know how things will work out, and regarding the inevitability of impending death, the message here is to take risks in life anyway. Make long-term investments, learn a skill, go to school, build a home. Our lives should be lived with this kind of boldness in the face of the grinding reality of life under the sun. We are to have a heavenly perspective of a God, Ephesians 3.20, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, and who promises, Ecclesiastes 8.12, that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. And so however it works out, it will be well with those who fear God. And for those who love God, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. So we're not frozen. Once we realize that our wisdom is insufficient to effectively navigate life, we're not frozen in indecision and saying, well, I can't do anything, I can't make any plans. No, the the opposite is true. We have an assurance that the outcome is good regardless of how things go. Those who fear God can know that even if their endeavors end in disaster, it will be well with them and will ultimately serve their good and God's glory. If we can believe this church, truly believe it, we will be the boldest, freest, and happiest people to ever live, despite all circumstances. But lest you should think that Ecclesiastes has suddenly become an unreserved optimist, we'll move on to verse 2. Give a portion to 7 or 8. For you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Again, we lack the comprehensive knowledge required for wisdom to produce reliable results. This calls for wisdom. The wise will know that they don't know what disaster might befall them, so they diversify their risks. And so seven and eight represent a distribution of risk in a higher number because it affords protection against unforeseen calamity in one or two of the enterprises. So a modern equivalent of this is to say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So isn't that great, though? I mean, this is philosophy for life. You don't know how things are going to work out. It might be a total disaster, so try a few things. Maybe one of them will work out. I love it. Ecclesiastes 7.14 tells us this, it says, In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So we don't know what will come tomorrow, but we are assured that both good days and bad days lie ahead for each of us. So wisdom humbly prepares for both. Both. Only foolish arrogance expects only success in our plans. James writes in, in James 4:13 4, 4, to 15, "Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such- and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit." Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes." Where have we heard that before? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So now now you see why I didn't want to tell you what our sermon plans were for the next week. Because who knows? We are Hevel, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And you do not know what tomorrow will bring. As creatures, we make our plans as we must but with the thought that if the Lord wills, we will still draw breath in the morning and have success in our endeavor or not. Ecclesiastes invites us to embrace a biblical way of looking at the world, taking a long-term view of life, which accepts both the good and the bad as gifts of God's grace to us. We are to hold loosely to our lives and to our possessions, not becoming too attached to them because both are heveled, and soon gone. But we are to take risks, make investments, draw up plans, all with the acceptance that we are not God and cannot assure the outcome we desire with the assurance that whatever the outcome, it will serve God's purposes for our lives. So we have a a deep unassurance that anything's going to go the way we plan and a deep assurance that God is going to work it out for our good and his glory. And so with these truths, make plans. Take risks. Make investments. The third proverb then in verse 3 says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. That's deep. (laughs) If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. These are obvious things. There are two illustrations here in verse 3. The first is of inevitability and the second of randomness. Both are situations completely out of human control. When the clouds are full of rain, the rain will inevitably fall. There is nothing that the farmer can do about it. Nor does anyone have control over which direction trees fall over when the wind blows whether such events are predictable or unpredictable, in other words, the point is that mortal beings cannot control them. And so in light of this, we should, what we should not do is described then in verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And so many things fall outside of human control. Wind and rain are just two examples here. If a farmer to wait, were to wait sorry, for perfectly controlled weather conditions, they would be too afraid to plant for fear that the seed would be blown away and too afraid to harvest for fear that the rain will come before the crop is in. And so after illustrating that things are beyond our control, this verse warns us against the paralysis of indecision that often develops from this realization. You know, some people, as soon as you realize, hey, nothing's going to go the way I plan," well, they just might stop making plans. If we can't know when the right time is to sow and we can't know when the right time is to reap, well, we might be frozen and and never do these things. And so the wisdom here is to know that we don't know enough to know how our decisions will work out, yet not making a decision is not an option, One must proceed on the basis of reason and common sense, but in the absence of guarantees. The point is that we cannot ensure success in our endeavors, but we should embrace life for what it is, good and bad, failure and success, and we should give up trying to control what we cannot, understanding that joyfully living life fully is its own reward. Ecclesiastes at its darkest tells us that everything we have and even our own lives are hevel, soon to be dust and gone. But in the meantime, Ecclesiastes advises us to make plans, take action, and embrace joy no matter the result. Because it it's set it up like this for us. Death is the final outcome for all of us. And the slate will be wiped clean. How life is lived is then more important than what you ended up with at the end. Verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. This verse again begins by reaffirming human ignorance. There is so much that we do not know, and one of those things is how the breath of life or the spirit of life, these words are interchangeable, wind, spirit, and breath, but we don't know how that life, that wind, that spirit comes into a human embryo. Likewise, we do not understand the work of God behind the scenes in all things. And so the point is, since you do not know that all will go well, do not await assurance of success before you begin any enterprise. To produce a pregnancy, a couple must do their part, but they can only entrust the outcome to God. Enjoy your part without trying to control the outcome. Conception is a perfect example of a human endeavor, but where the results are outside of our control. God's providence brings blessing, but it also allows for misfortune. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. And we are not usually shown why God acts as he does. Sometimes, but rarely. And, but we do know that his providence is operating in determining outcomes both for our good and his glory. And so, verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. A farmer has no way of knowing if his seed will germinate and produce the crop that he desires There are too many variables to comprehend and too many inevitabilities out of his control. The answer then is not to stop sowing and to starve, but to plant twice as much and hope that one or with good circumstances both will produce a good harvest. So it is with all human activity. We are to work at whatever God has put before us and take opportunities that seem wise to us because something else that humans do not know is which tasks will produce the more valuable results. The verse repeats the message of Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And at the same time echoes verse 2's call for a diversification of risks, right? Do it in the morning and in the evening. Sow two fields instead of one. In the light of the limitations on human wisdom, the final assessment is a command to go ahead and act anyway. You have no way of knowing what will work out the way you want, or even if failure in some area is what will ultimately be what is best for you. God knows. Guarantees, unless given by God, are rarely possible. But wisdom maximizes the chances for success. Even diversified efforts do not guarantee success, but foolish inaction will usually lead to failure. As my basketball coach used to always say, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. We must not give in to the fear of failure. Or on the other hand, the false promise of a sure thing, as though we have the control which belongs only to God. The wise person knows that they do not control destiny, yet launches into life with enthusiastic abandon, knowing that God is their reward, whatever the temporary outcome. All through, Ecclesiastes has counseled the contentment, which can only come as a gift from God. But not the sort of apathetic contentment, which leads to sloth and stagnation. Not a sort of depressed contentment that's just like, well, nothing's going to work out, so we'll just live here. It is a a holding loose of things which are ultimately hevel, here today and gone. It is a, a godly contentment which is willing to risk the temporary to gain the eternal. It is a contentment which leads to a righteous ambition and a sort of entrepreneurial attitude among God's people. I'm reminded of one of the most misquoted passages from the scriptures, where, in pursuit of one of the most ambitious missionary endeavors in human history, Paul writes Philippians four eleven to thirteen. I have learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not actually about boxing after all. Only in Christ can we walk in this sort of contentment, in the surpassing joy of salvation and the urgency of the time remaining which overshadows the temporary Surprisingly, this our passage in Ecclesiastes is one of the most commonly alluded to in the New Testament. In addition to the James 4 passage reminding us that we do not know what tomorrow brings and that we ourselves are hevel, this specific advice about holding life and its possessions loosely in order to live life to the full is paralleled on many occasions in the New Testament. And so in, in addition to a general philosophy for life, this passage gives us a, a practical application based on these truths. Or sorry, these New Testament passages give us practical application based on these truths we hear, read here in Ecclesiastes. In Matthew six nineteen to 20, Jesus commands his followers not to store up treasures on earth where they will eventually become dust, but to think in the long term and to invest in the eternal kingdom. He illustrates the folly of clinging to possessions in the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, 16 to 21. And then following that, advocates a carefree attitude to life in the context of real faith in God and a generosity towards the poor in Luke 12, 22. And I'm going to just read 22 and 23 and skip to 29 to 34. You can read the whole thing later in your study. And he said to his disciples, verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And then verse 29, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Jesus is particularly opposed to defensive living. As we see in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Not only did he tell us, don't store up treasures on earth, which is a sort of defense of living, always hoarding for the rainy day. But then in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 to 30, two servants take the money that had been entrusted to them and through trade and investments use what they have to make more. Each is rewarded and commended Matthew 25, 23, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over, uh, over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I, I'm convinced that every true believer is desperate to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been, reward, faith, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But the servant, the foolish servant, who takes no risks but buries his talent in the ground is rebuked and cast out, verse 26, you wicked and slothful servant. This parable is not really about money, of course, but about the life we are gifted by God in Christ. The foolish servant has believed the very lie of the serpent in the garden, Genesis 3, 1-5, saying that God cannot be trusted to determine good for us. And so living in suspicion and distrusting of his master refuses to live boldly in a way that would produce any gain. The wise and faithful response to divine generosity is generous and exuberant living in the awareness that Jesus came John 10:10 10, 10, to give us full and abundant life the wise enjoy this life before and with God when they see all things from this perspective ian proven writes Christians have all too often managed to give the impression that our faith is about refusing to live a full life in the present so that we can inherit a better life in the future. This represents a seriously distorted gospel which denies the full goodness of God and the incomparable joy of doing what he commands despite all of the risks because we are assured of the final outcome. Jesus also parallels Ecclesiastes here when he teaches the parable of the sower, which Leighton just taught on recently from Mark chapter 4. Because we do not know, verse 6, what the outcome of our labors will be when we spread the gospel, the word of the kingdom of God like a seed, you are to sow your seed into every available soil, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. It's one of the most foolish evils that has entered the church is the idea that we need to have the wisdom to know who the right person to share the gospel is with. It's one of the, the most foolish direct disobediences to passages like preach the word in season and out of season when we say that we need to have the wisdom to know when the right season is to share the gospel with someone. It's Totally saying, no, we're going to set aside the wisdom of Scripture and the command of our God and just go and do what we think is best. If we wait for the ideal conditions, as we are warned against in verse 4, we will not achieve anything worthwhile. We must, Ephesians 5.16, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so there is a human responsibility for all believers to consistently take the risk. But the results do not lie with us. We have no comprehension or control over the way the Spirit converts the hearts of men. As Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.8, yet another parallel with Ecclesiastes 11.5, the wind blows where it wishes. Remember, that's that word that can be wind or spirit or breath. The wind blows where it wishes. The spirit goes where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is sovereign as he moves within the hearts of men in the process of regeneration, giving life where we were dead in our sin and trespasses. We can only obey, stand back, and marvel and believe. I'm so excited to be able now in my life to look and see the way that seed scattered recklessly has produced such fruit of the Spirit and faith in the people that God has chosen. We are invited, church, into the joyous reality of unflappable trust and exuberant obedience. Risking it all for the heavenly kingdom because we have nothing at all to lose. And eternity to gain through the exclusive work of our good and gracious King, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you so much for your word in Ecclesiastes. I thank you that you give us such practical and on-point instruction for living. Instructions which, which free us to seek your will, Free us to obey in radical ways. Free us to generosity and risk-taking. Lord, as someone who seeks your will to lead your church, I would be frozen in indecision if I thought that the end result of your church lied with me. I would have no idea what to do. But because... You are the one who sets our path. We can trust that we, we can do the best with what you've given us and the best of our wisdom, knowing that even our mistakes will ultimately serve our good and your glory. So Lord, I pray that you, for this church. I pray that you would free us through the the philosophy here based on true theology that would give us the most abundant life, the greatest joy here and now, the greatest freedom to seek the good things that you have put in our hearts to do. Allow us to live what time we have left with our temporary possessions in a way that matters for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray for his glory. Amen.